0: Men, Aren't you glad for that night? Well, Merry Christmas, everyone. So good for all of you to be here on this Christmas Eve. You made it. 2020 has been difficult and crazy, and, but you made it this far <laughs> to Christmas Eve. And the last couple of weeks, I know, have been hectic and crazy running around trying to buy gifts and making sure everything is all right. And so right now, what I want everybody to do is just take a deep breath. It's all over. Well, go like this if you do that. <laughs> Sorry, that was a bad idea. Sorry. <laughs> you get the point. We can relax, right? I'm not going to give you a full-blown sermon tonight. No amens to that? (laughs) I know you didn't want to spend your Christmas Eve listening to a long-winded sermon, but I'm going to share a few thoughts that I believe the Lord has has put on my heart uh, briefly. And I want to start uh, with a a text that probably wouldn't normally be thought of as a Christmas text because it comes at the end of Jesus' life rather than at the beginning, but it is a Christmas text just as much. It's in John chapter 18 when the Jewish uh, leaders had uh, taken Jesus captive, had arrested him, and then turned him over to Pilate, demanding that he be crucified. And uh, while that was going on, Pilate pulled Jesus aside and had just a private one-on-one conversation with him. And what I'm going to read is what they said during that conversation. And You don't have to stand, just keep your seats And uh, Because I'm just going to go in and and talk right after this. But it says this in, in John chapter 18, beginning in verse 33. Therefore, Pilate entered again into the praetorium and summoned Jesus and said to him, Are you the king of the Jews? Jesus answered, Are you saying this on your own initiative? Or did others tell you about me? Pilate answered, I'm not a Jew, am I? Your own nation and the chief priest delivered you to me. What have you done? Jesus answered, My kingdom is not of this world. If my kingdom were of this world, then my servants would be fighting so that I would not be handed over to the Jews. But as it is, my kingdom is not of this realm. Therefore Pilate said to him, so you are a king? Jesus answered, you say correctly that I am king. For this I have been born. And for this, I have come into the world to testify to the truth. Everyone who is of the truth, hears my voice. We could call... Yeah, go ahead and applaud that if you want to. (laughs) That's good news. We could call verse 37 there the reason for the season. If someone were to ask ask you what christmas was all about most of us would say well it's about the birth of jesus but that really wouldn't do justice to what it really means some might answer well it's about emmanuel god with us and and that would be true but why why did god come to be with us well jesus said it right here to testify to the truth you see before he came No one had any idea at all what real truth was because ever since the fall of Adam and Eve, mankind was separated from God and pretty much left on its own to figure out how to get that back. Before the fall, Adam and Eve lived in the constant revelation of truth truth but that was no longer the case when sin entered the picture and so all of mankind from then on was left groping in the dark trying to figure out what real truth was on their own that's why Proverbs sixteen twenty five says there is a way that seems right to a man but its end is the way of death and so Jesus was saying that he came to restore that revelation of truth that was lost in the garden. To show the way of truth rather than the way of death, that, which was the only thing that mankind had known until then. And some have wondered, well, well, why did he have to become a man in order to do that? Couldn't there have been some other way for, for, for God to do that? Well, I read a story one time about this. Indian college student. He was from India and came over here to the States to study. And a group of Christian college students had reached out to him and were sharing the gospel with him. But he just could not get past this one sticking point. And that was why God, the creator of the universe, would reduce himself to something that he created. He he just couldn't get past the fact, reconcile in his mind why God would become a human Until one day he's walking across this grassy area of campus which was being mowed by one of the groundskeepers and he comes up on an anthill. Now he was raised in the Hindu religion which believes all life forms should be protected because you never know when it might be a family member that has been reincarnated. And so he sees these ants are about to be run over by this mower, and he gets worried, and he's like, how can I save these ants? He said, I could yell at them, but they wouldn't be able to understand me. I could make a little bitty sign and stick it on their mound, but they wouldn't be able to, to, to read that. The only way I could save them is if I became an ant. And then the light clicked on in his head. And he understood then why God became a human, And he gave his life to Jesus and and followed him from then on. But that doesn't either fully explain the reason. The main reason was because mankind that he created had committed great sin and blasphemy against their creator and that had to be paid for. But God had always determined to have a people for himself that would be restored to that life and relationship with him that they were originally created for. And if he carried that punishment out on all who deserved it, then there wouldn't be anyone left to restore And so he came to take that punishment himself so that those who could receive that and they trust in it as their only hope experience that restoration. Why did God come to earth in the person of Jesus? Well, the bottom line is he came to die. He came to die. We see these images of the cute baby laying in a manger of hay, and we often miss the fact that that little precious baby came for the sole purpose of dying a a brutal, horrific death. That was his mission. Now, I love the Christmas season. Like many people, it's probably my favorite time of the year, and I love everything about it. I love the decorations and the lights and the songs and and the ornaments and the presents and the anticipation of waking up on Christmas morning. But there's one thing that I don't like about what this whole season has become I don't like the fact that we can so easily find ourselves loving the idea of Christmas and loving the, everything that is attached to Christmas more than we love what Christmas is actually about. Somewhere along the way in our culture, we have absolutely lost the awe, the fear, the astonishment, and wonder Of John 114, and the word became flesh and dwelt among us. You can read every fairy tale written, every mystery thriller, every ghost story, and you will never find something so shocking and strange and spellbinding as the story of the incarnate God. That he became flesh and dwelt among us. When Jesus said to Pilate, For this reason I have come into the world, he said something as strange and eerie and crazy as any statement that you can find in any science fiction. The mystery of Jesus' birth isn't just that he was born of a virgin, the miracle was intended to bear witness to an even greater one that the baby born in a stable had always existed. The uniqueness of Jesus' birth is that he did not originate at his birth. He existed long before he was ever born in a manger. His birth was not someone new coming into being, but a coming into the world of someone infinitely old. The personhood, the character, the reality of Jesus of Nazareth existed before the man, Jesus of Nazareth, was born in that stable. At the dawn of creation, God said, let us make man in our own image. He was not talking to the angels. Jesus was there. Colossians 1.16 says, for by him all things were created. All things have been created through him and for him. He is before all things, and in him all things hold together. John 1.2, he was in the beginning with God. And apart from him, nothing came into being that has come into being. Those verses would not be true if his existence began on Christmas Day. The prophet Micah put it this way, 700 years before that birth. In Micah 5, 2, it says, But as for you, Bethlehem, Ephrathah, too little to be among the clans of Judah. From you, one will go forth from me to be a ruler in Israel. His goings forth are from long ago from the days of eternity. Some translations say the ancient of days. That verse in John talking about the word becoming flesh goes on to say, and we saw his glory, glory as of the only begotten of the Father and full of grace and truth. And so my question for us tonight is this, do we see the glory of the only begotten of the Father in the story and the meaning of Christmas or has it become so commercialized and so cartoonish that it really has no more meaning than the story of Rudolph and Santa Claus? Maybe on this Christmas Eve, we just need to repent and say, God, I confess that the stories men have made stir my emotions and all my amazement and joy more than your own true story. I know there are times that I I have to say that. The epic thrillers of our day like Star Wars and the Avengers or or some other movie that, that ignites a thrill in us, they can do something good for us. They can humble us by showing us that we actually are capable of the wonder and awe that we were created to experience in Christ and that we seldom feel when we think about the cosmic eternal God making contact with mortal man for the sole purpose of dying in his place. Our prayer tonight is that we will experience that once again. So the first thing we're going to do tonight is take communion together. There in your pew rack in front of you, you should find a little combo pack of The cup, the juice, and the wafer on top, there is a thin uh, covering on that wafer. And then there's another covering under that that covers up the, the liquid inside. If you don't have one, you raise your hand and one of the ushers can get one to you, but there should be plenty out there. The bread the body of Jesus is what this represents it represents the fact that the Word became flesh and dwelt among us and he gave that body willingly over to be crucified and to die in our place and the cup representing the blood He came to shed. We take this together to signify the fact that because Jesus has accomplished the mission to perfection, dying in our place, we now have God with us. And not only is he with us, but for those of us who know that Jesus' sacrifice is our only hope of being made right with God, it's not our good deeds, It's not our effort, it's not our good intentions, that our only hope is what Jesus has done for me that I could never do for myself. Those of us who believe and trust that, we know that not only do we have God with us, but we now have God himself residing in us. So when we eat the bread and we drink the cup, we are signifying that fact. Not only do we have Emmanuel, God, with us, we have God in us. And so I'm going to pray. And at the end of my prayer, we're going to take of these two things together. So pray with me. Jesus, we thank you. You did not have to become something that you created something so lowly and insignificant that you became a man so that you could save us, so that you could die in our place and take the punishment that we deserved. Lord, what grace, what mercy is displayed in the Christmas message. And Lord, I pray that that message, that story Lord, this year, we need it more than ever to to just have an awe and an amazement and a wonder ignited in us about that. We need that now this year more than ever. God, we cannot produce that on our own. We cannot conjure it up. So we're asking you, do what you said you came to do to pilot. Testify to the truth. Show us Excitement of that truth. Even as we take this, Lord, let it sink down deep into us. In your name I pray. Amen. Long before he came into the world, the prophet Isaiah would tell of the implications of Jesus' coming in Isaiah 9-2 that says, the people who walk in darkness will see a great light. Those who live in a dark land, the light will shine on them. 700 years later, John would write in verse two of chapter one, in him was life and the life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness and the darkness did not comprehend it. Jesus told Pilate, I came into this world to testify the truth, to shine light on the real truth that is only found in me. These last four weeks, we've been learning more about what it means to have God with us. The first week... It's about the fact that now that we have God with us, we have hope with us. The next week was about what it means as the people of God to live by faith rather than by sight. And then it was how we were created to experience joy, how God actually wired our brains for joy. And that joy is only found to its fullest in a relationship with Him. And then last week it was about the peace that He has made available. Peace between us and God, peace in the middle of the chaos, and peace with one another. Tonight we light the center candle that represents Jesus the light of the world. In Matthew five sixteen, he said, "'Let your lights shine before men "'so that others may see your good works "'and glorify your Father who is in heaven.' "'And so those who receive the light that Jesus brought we are then commissioned to go out and shine that same light into this dark world. And so to represent that, the ushers are gonna come down here with their candles and they're gonna light theirs from this one flame. And then they're gonna come down the aisles and light the ones of you there on the end of the rows. and you're gonna pass it to the person next to you. We're gonna see how all these lights together coming from one source, what that can do. I'll go ahead. I uh-huh. Sa ah.